I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, Rise Together listeners. Dave here, coming to you from the old back patio of peace here at my place in uh, lovely Dripping Springs, Texas. Come on by if you're around. Uh, I've just finished a long run, uh, and I wanted to share a little bit of how I am one to work through uh, a season where there are more questions than there are answers, <laughs> and how this process of uh, my long runs and the way that I keep my notes uh, open on my phone and uh, dictate thoughts as I do a long run uh, might uh, give you a resource of sorts if you find yourself also in a world where there might be more questions than answers. Uh, but also, if in any way, any of the things that I am processing in real time resonate for you, uh, maybe there's something in this that makes you think about something you're working through in a different way, or if nothing else, makes you feel normal <laughs> for going through the kind of stuff that uh, I think most of us as humans end up going through. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. This last, uh, this last few months, this entire year, uh, has really been marked for me by a full-scale pullback, uh, a wholesale inventory of everything, uh, more or less, in my life. Uh, it's a strange thing. I uh, had the experience of 2020, where the unexpected nature of the end of my marriage, the transition of what I did uh, in working in a business with my ex-wife to having to figure out what does next look like now, um, there was an opportunity to build, do, be, um, whatever. And there, I've talked about it plenty of times, is something exciting and terrifying about uh, that prospect. And uh, 18 months in, man, I felt so proud of so much of what... Uh, was the work to turn terrifying into exciting. And I found myself uh, on top of what felt like uh, having done a lot of things, built a lot of things, created a lot of things. Uh, I felt myself standing on top of something that was built on a foundation that uh, itself had not been uh, examined for structural damage before any of the new building was done. And uh, for me, what that ended up meaning is that when I found myself under pressure, when I found myself the victim of the critic inside, when I found myself uh, insecure or filled with imposter syndrome or facing um, just the stuff that ends up coming up in grief long after you think you're done processing uh, that part of it, uh, the unsturdy foundation, she did uh, give way on me somewhat at the end of last year. And the result of that was pain, but also like an invitation to rebuild in a 
better way, one that actually starts by uh, addressing some of what were, you know, the unnoticed or untended to cracks that sat in that uh, fractured foundation on top of which a bunch of stuff was built. And so uh, this journey for me in the last three months has really been one of asking uh, a lot of questions, a lot of self-discovery and a lot of time, um, a lot of time, frankly, with myself and uh, normalizing the uh, ability that we have as people to confront the things we don't like to have to necessarily confront and sit for a prolonged period of times in that discomfort so that the answers that inevitably actually will present themselves are given the time to do so. It's left me with just an abundance of hope and uh, such insight into so much of who I am and why I am and why I do uh, the things I do or why I don't do the things I don't do. And uh, has again been this invitation to start a journey of building on top of what now is hopefully uh, a more properly tended to foundation. So I feel hopeful about that. What's weird is that I also find myself, as I said at the top, in, uh, in a world right now where I have more questions than I do answers about uh, some of the specifics of how I'll do all the things that I'll do. And so I have, anytime I've run into a time when I feel like, oh man, I don't understand what's happening here, or this desire that I have for certainty or control, uh, these are things that uh, have tended to usually spin me out or create anxiety or make me want to drink or a whole host of things that, um, to be honest, just haven't been necessarily productive. And this time, I think in part because of having taken as much time away from the world, having stepped away altogether from social media, sitting in so much therapy, um, I find myself without as many answers, but still connected to hope. And that's uh, an awesome place to be. So I got up this morning uh, to continue what for me has been something of a routine uh, in this kind of back to basics, stick with the things you know have historically helped you process things the most kind of uh, routine. Uh, I put on my running shoes and I am trying to do two shorter and one longer run each week. And my longer run today was uh, the attempt to run a neighborhood half marathon, 13 miles. Uh, I ended up doing just more than 10, uh, and I'm going to count that as a stinking win because anytime you run for more than two hours consecutively, uh, you're going to go ahead and dip your, tip your cap to yourself. Uh, but when I get out and do a run like this, the thing that I tend to do, especially when I'm, again, sitting with a bunch of questions or uh, a bunch of emotion that I am now inviting to stay here and not necessarily leave, um, I like to run in silence then run with some music, then listen to often a sermon um, and, or a, a podcast, and just see if there's anything that comes up in any of what I'm experiencing, either in the silence of hearing my feet hit the ground, or the sermon and the message that's coming through, or the podcast and what's being talked about, or the music, uh, whether it's you know, listening to something worship or listening to something that's you know, gonna pump me up and make me wanna charge the roads, um, see what comes up. And what I tend to do when I'm doing these runs is keep my notes pad open on my phone. And as anything enters my mind, whether it's I'm hearing something that's being said that, oh man, that's interesting. I want to continue to pull the thread on that. Or just a thought that enters my head while I'm running in silence, I will dictate it into my phone and then uh, have adopted a routine of coming home from the run as I am stretching. I'm transferring then those notes onto my uh, computer. And uh, once the stretching is done, I sit down and try and do just a little bit of journaling against each of the ideas that presented themselves on that run just to see if there's something more there. And if nothing comes up on this day, on the day that the original idea came up, no worries. I now just have this running tally of thoughts that are presenting themselves in my real time that I can come back to at any time. Uh, when I might feel either more inspired to write more about it or spend a little bit more time unpacking it or bring it into therapy to say, why was this thought a thought that showed up in my head? Um, and it has been, for me, uh, a fantastic way to process the stuff that I am trying to find answers to. Um, it also, by the way, happens to be the way that I have approached writing books or have approached uh, you know, doing podcast episodes. If you're a creator, 
uh, and you're looking for a way to bring some of what might need to be said or what you uh, would hope to impart on an audience, this could in fact be um, a thing that could work also for you. So in no particular order, uh, these are some of the things that came up for me as I was running today, um, just to give you a little insight into how I am working through the thoughts in my head. Uh, and like I say, if there's something in this that you are also working through, man, I hope it gives you a spark of inspiration to pull a little bit on that thread yourself. So the first thing I wrote down in the phone or, or dictated into the phone today was the line, you get to live life how it is, not how you wish it were. You get to life, you get to live life how it is, not how you wish it were. And what's interesting is when I went through my uh, hiatus, when I went through uh, going into what was this most extraordinary uh, treatment facility, there was a, a, it was a mental health uh, and addiction specialty that actually really dove into any kind of past trauma, any kind of relational attachment stuff, any kind of family of origin stuff, any kind of uh, self-worth, your esteem, your identity stuff. And it was, gosh, it was just the most incredible and amazing thing. Um, and if there was a theme for me that came up a lot in some of what I've been carrying personally in my own grief journey or in my own, call, call it like the bucket of unprocessed stuff, it's this thing of, uh, of mourning this idealized version of how I wish things were rather than mourning the reality of how things are or how things were. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'll give you a for example. You know, divorce is something that's hard. Oh my goodness, so hard for anyone to have to go through and process. And the grief that inevitably comes up in the aftermath of divorce is real. I mean, it's just not a thing that you can walk through without experiencing it. But one of the biggest breakthroughs I had in my own grief journey was the ability at one point to recognize that the thing I was saddest about was actually not the end of the relationship as it was. The thing I was grieving the most was that our marriage hadn't continued to be what I hoped it could have been, right? There was this idealized version of what I wish we were that either as individual people or as two humans that connect or as a family that uh, you know creates a system that works really, really well, I was mourning that it didn't work out the way I wish it had, not so much that it didn't work out in its existing form. And that's the kind of objectivity that of course only ends up coming to someone after they are outside of that relationship, when they've had time to process and look back with something of clearer eyes. But when I think about then and, and was you know, kind of in this work of trying to understand myself, so much of where pain had existed or where resentment had existed or where frustration had, exi had existed, so often it was connected to how I was expectations frustrated in how I wish things were relative to how they actually are. I, you know, I, there, maybe there's a sense of, uh, of entitlement almost that comes in thinking that we get a say in how things ought to be, how we wish people were, how we wish work opportunities existed, how we wish the, you know, desire to do something and get a result of X, um, you know, sometimes doesn't come to us for a vote. The result ends up being Y, and rather than acknowledging that that's what it is and adapting to what that's what it is, um, I know for myself, I have found myself in seasons where I am just frustrated that it's X and not Y, when I have resentment that it's X and not Y, when I feel in some ways like a victim that I have to endure X and not get the benefits of Y. And part of, you know, the journey of healing and part of the journey of growth for me has been one of trying to connect more and more to this idea of acceptance. Um, I mentioned in the podcast I did with Gabby, that first book I read when I was inside of my eight weeks of work was a thing called Radical Acceptance, Embracing Your Life with the Heart of a Buddha. Radical Acceptance. And the idea of just accepting that this is how things are, and we have this opportunity and invitation to live life as it is, and every day that we spend bemoaning the fact that it isn't as we wish it were, 
that's time wasted and pulled away from and distracting all the good that could already exist in what already does. And, uh, you know, it's, I'll say it's been easier said than done because there are, you know, 800 micro miracles happening around us every single day that you, if you are present to them and pay attention to them, of course, you live in this state of gratitude and you just feel the sense of abundance irrespective of what's happening. And yet life is life. And when something takes a turn or we make a mistake or we, you know, in some ways live out of integrity with who we'd hope to be, we can feel that regret. We can feel that frustration. We can feel that uh, that resentment for things not having worked as we wished or for us not having done as we'd hoped or for having uh, put expectations on someone else to be something that they aren't. Um, and so I'm, you know, like I'm on a journey. <laughs> I'm not at a place where I have solved this thing, but I am on a journey to try and remind myself that I, like you, get to live life how it is, not how I wish it were. That there's nothing wrong with casting a vision for the future. There's nothing wrong for creating and setting huge goals and chasing after them. And also the opportunity to live in now and experience what is already good is the only thing we ever actually have access to. And, and if there was a thing I could tell my younger self or a thing I'd like to shake myself by the shoulders with, it's that any time that was wasted in idealizing a version of who I wish they were or how I wish that situation was or how I wish this felt or how I wish I actually reacted to something that, you know, I had a, a triggered response to, um, that doesn't necessarily serve anything outside of delaying my appreciation of the good that already exists. All right, that was the first one. The second one that I wrote down was uh, this line, sometimes you believe your own press, both good and bad. Sometimes you believe your own press, both good and bad. These first two were ones that came up um, as I was running without music on, this is one of those things that I will bring to my therapist. Okay, what is it about each of these things that present themselves in the absence of distraction? Hmm, why are they like top of mind or why did they float from unconscious to conscious? I don't know. But the thing that popped into my head was this, uh, this thing that I had as an activity from uh, a therapy assignment where I was meant to track how I felt about myself over time. So I was supposed to create a timeline across the bottom, split the paper in half long ways, and on the high side of the piece of paper was times when I felt great on a scale of one to 10, go ahead and put the dot in the corresponding number and make a note of what it was that you were doing that would let you know that, man, this was a good experience or this was a thing that you correlated good experience to feeling good about yourself, being proud of yourself, having uh, affection for yourself or self-love or whatever it ends up being. All right, if it was a good thing, it tended to be uh, higher on the list. If it was not as good, but still in the a good thing, it was lower. And then there were times when I felt bad about myself, when I was most critical of myself, when I was most shame-filled with myself, when I uh, didn't like myself, or my inner critic was the lead voice in my head, and go ahead and chart those on the bottom half of the page, same scale, one to 10. If you were really shame-filled, if you really had some self-loathing, go ahead and uh, put it lower on the page and leave that paper by its side. Come back the following day, we're gonna have you do a separate exercise. The next day, we were asked to identify how the opinions of other people affected the way that these dots landed on this paper, right? So how much of outside influence played a role in how you felt great about yourself or not so great about yourself? And the answer for me, and it's a like, man, hate to confess that there is such a correlation, is that there was almost a 100% of the time causal relationship, tied relationship, cause and effect, that if 
me doing something afforded me praise from a third party. Could be my kids, could be my ex-wife, could be Heidi, could be people online, could be uh, a number of books sold, could be whatever. Um, If there was something that was third party validating me or invalidating me, criticism, uh, you know, something that someone said that hurt my feelings or made me feel shame, whatever it is, um, almost every single time, third party reaction was responsible for the way I was feeling about myself. And that was a I mean, I think that we all, in some respects, of course, are conscientious to social pressure and the idea of, um, you know, wanting to be loved and accepted as we are. Of course, I feel that also, but I also don't want to be beholden ever to only feeling good about myself when applause is coming in. And as soon as that applause stops, or God forbid, uh, when people start being hypercritical or hateful, then it has the inverse effect and immediately I feel terribly about myself and I don't love myself and they're right and I'm broken and all the things that end up coming with it. And so how I can stay connected to this thing that I said out loud, sometimes you believe your own press, good and bad. Um, I want to stay connected to it because there are, there are things that I have received praise for that didn't that, that made me feel good in the short term, but didn't actually properly reflect uh, that I had earned necessarily some of that praise. And so it had created an inflative, inflated sense of self or an overstated amount of ego that, um, that didn't necessarily serve me. And then the inverse, of course, even more so is true that as much as I know anytime anyone creates anything or starts to be in relationship with anyone or attempts to um, just to be, that of course there's going to be criticism that comes in that creation. Um, But the idea that creating a relationship with someone could also have me not loving who I am if they decide to stop being in that relationship makes all of this as a system or a paradigm, something that is broken, right? If uh, creating uh, a book is something that ends up coming with people who don't like the book and because they don't like the book and I have combined who I am with what I made, if they don't like it, then I take it as they don't like me and that then makes me not wanna create anything. Oi, there's a dilemma. And so finding a way to work through and workshop, how do you free yourself? How do you free yourself, Dave, from um, anyone ever having access to the way that you feel about yourself is an incredibly important and super difficult mission that I am on and have been on for some length of time. Um, I have, I mean, I've talked about codependency in relationships for years and, you know, like unwiring the muscle memory that exists in some of the codependence that I have in relationships, in all relationships, is something that ends up being necessary because when you get wired that, oh, I'm good when I please others, when I get good press, I'm good, you start to morph yourself into someone who gets that praise, that gets that acknowledgement or that gets that affirmation that, yep, you're good. But often for me, contorting myself or tweaking myself into that version of who I thought they wanted me to be, right? Who they, the internet, who they, my kids, who they, my ex-wife, who they, my partner, who they, who whoever they are, it comes every single time by denying some portion of who I am And every time that little denial ends up happening, I like myself just a little bit less because I don't believe that I am lovable unless I deny part of who I know myself to be. So, (laughs) good press or not, uh, how can I find a way to create something impenetrable between self and my relationship that I have to it? I'm working on it. I wish I had like a fantastic, ta-da, here's the answer kind of moment. But uh, if there's anything in this season, I 100% feel like I am 
wildly more the student than the teacher in any of what I am trying to process or work through. But um, I feel like I've made more progress on um, understanding who I am, which would then also inform who I can't be, uh, even if it means losing uh, you know, losing a relationship or stepping away from uh, a job or you know, creating something and just, you know, releasing yourself from that creation the second that it's made, knowing that you gave your very best to it. And then anything that's said about it, good or bad, has no reflection at all on its creator. It's the reception to that thing that, of course, is never going to be universally loved. All right, that was, the, that was the second one. The third one, and there's a couple of points on this one because I found myself wandering into, oh no, I wrote this, I, I wrote this in uh, before I started the, pod, the, um, the sermon. So anyway, this was still while, while there was silence in the air. You know, I haven't been on social media for a little bit of time now. And social media is kind of like a relationship <laughs> in and of itself. Uh, it's not until you're outside of that relationship that you're able to have some of the objectivity of um, what was good and not so good about that relationship. And I I just have, man, so much um, a deeper appreciation for, yes, the good. There were obviously good things. There's so much unbelievable connection that I feel from um, a community of people that have stood by and been so supportive of me um, forever. And it's just, I mean, it's such a beautiful and amazing thing. And also, there is a lot of toxicity and uh, and really damaging stuff that exists inside of social media for someone like myself who um, had spent so much of his um, time, but maybe even more exposed so much of his life on it in a way that um, uh, at times took what was intentionally meant to be vulnerability for the hope of connection and feeling normal. And um, maybe in that vulnerability made me uh, a little too susceptible to the way that um, being a, a semi-public figure and the feedback that comes from those that the message isn't intended for affected me. It just affected me in a, in a, in a pretty negative way. So what I ended up saying out loud was, the fear of missing out online is something that comes at the expense of actually missing out in person, right? The fear of missing out online comes at the expense of actually missing out in person. I have, like I thought I had a good handle on the way that being um, social media connected was affecting my in-person connection. And it wasn't until I was no longer on my phone in the midst of hangouts with family or uh, playing with my kids or um, frankly, anything um, that I've felt the connection and the depth and the thing that of course all of us are meant to feel because of the absence of distraction. Because instead of um, trying to capture photos or videos, um, there's just an opportunity to be present in the moment and create eye contact and uh, actually laugh when the joke is done instead of just seconds after you were supposed to laugh because of having been distracted by something you were holding in an iPhone. It's, uh, I'm, I'm sure that most people listening didn't have, um, you know, a tendency of pulling out that phone and recording uh, as much as I might have at times in uh, a world where I'd convinced myself that staying connected with uh, a decent amount of access on social media was uh, an important way to continue to build uh, and serve a community. And I think there's a place for it, um, but I, I definitely now can appreciate that, man, it was coming at the expense of um, some of what was meant to be enjoyed in person and the intentionality that really comes when there's focused attention. I know that's a no duh, no brainer kind of thing, but man, it's a thing. Um, I've, I've felt more connected and more um, present uh, in part just because there hasn't been technology involved in, uh, in all of the hanging out for these last uh, you know two and a half months of my life. And it's hard to consider a rationale to return to something that would reintroduce technology that could interrupt some of the connection that currently is happening. 
Uh, I can remember I had a birthday back in February and I was off social media and it was, it was a weird day because, uh, I mean, I actually asked this question out loud <laughs> to Heidi, <laughs> like if you have a birthday, but you don't post about it online, does it even happen? <laughs> and I'm sure there's some vanity wrapped in that. Like, Hey, I want a bunch of people to wish me happy birthday. I'm my birthday. But in a weird way that social, like social media does create connection and it 100% does on special events create this feeling of being seen, this feeling of being loved, of being appreciated and noticed. And what was amazing is that I, I was asking this question ahead of my birthday and then had the just the most wonderful and simple gathering of my kids, Heidi, and a cake for um, us to spend time enjoying each other. Woke up and made this huge breakfast on, uh, on Valentine's Day itself, my birthday itself. And there wasn't anything missed because it wasn't being publicly shouted about. In fact, it was arguably more special, of course, more special because um, the attention was only being paid to the people from whom I love you and I appreciate you and we're so happy you were born and going around a table toasting the thing that we like most or are proudest most of you. Like the little rituals that we have inside of birthday, they happen and are, I, I'm going to argue, more meaningful when there is um, exclusivity in some respects and focus and, it, you know, like just intention around absorbing and being present to it. But yeah, you can still have a birthday. You can still be in a relationship. You can, you can do all the things that you can do and um, often are telling people about on the internet off of the internet. They, uh, they happen and sometimes they actually can happen in an even better way. I was talking to Rachel about having stepped away from social and how I was shocked at how much I um, hadn't been conscientious of that I only, you know, kind of was after having stepped away. And we haven't spent a ton of time getting into the details of, you know, of divorce after divorce, but it was one of the first times that there was at least an acknowledgement. She said, uh, you know, uh, I know there were a whole host of other things, other, you know, reasons that, uh, you know, we are better on our individual paths, but our, um, our being on social in the way that we were being, you know, on a live stream every morning and, um, and doing as many things, uh, as we did, um, certainly wasn't helpful. Um, it's not the root cause, um, but it's certainly among a list of things that uh, made some of what was already not working not work uh, even more and uh, probably accelerated the conversation in some respect. So I don't know. Uh, I know there's benefit and value to sharing the fact that you have found love on the internet, um, but I do hope that uh, I will not make the same mistakes that I have made in the past and, uh, and preserve some of... Uh, what is meant for just me and the person that I'm in a relationship offline so that I can um, keep it safe, keep it safe. The, the, the sermon I ended up listening to, if you're looking for a, a good little sermon, I'll tell you what, uh, I listened to something from Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church. It was really um, a cool conversation. It helped, it, it, like it happened to feel a little bit like it was uh, timed for, you know, <laughs> the things that I'm in real time processing. But one of the first things that he said that, uh, that, I, that I ended up putting into my notes here is something that I have been processing um, in, in the work of these last you know, few months. Uh, he said, God is talking about a generational blessing and you are, living, you are living with a generational curse. God is talking about a generational blessing and you are still living with a generational curse. Uh, it, the idea uh, that he barely kind of touched on, but that I like resonated with because of some of the stuff that I was doing with family of origin and relationship attachment. And again, kind of like the why I do the things I do, you know, there's just so much of who we are and why we think what we think that 
is just, uh, it's a hand-me-down. It is uh, done their best, right? My, my parents are amazing. They are the greatest. I love them so much. And um, there's still some stuff that ends up being handed from one generation to the next that is, again, a reflection of their very best effort and their own stuff because they were also raised by humans who, in their humanity, had them thinking or feeling or working through something in trauma or having to deal with some, something in whatever it might be. Uh, and as much as you can, in some ways, you can see it and you can acknowledge that it exists and you can commit, I'm never going to be like my parent, um, some of the things that manifest are a byproduct of very, very deep and very, very early seeding of ideas that come out of how we were raised. And this idea that, man, like God's talking about generational blessing and we're still living with these stories. We're still stuck in that um, belief that was handed to us, that was programmed inside of us, that we haven't yet um, taken the time to confront or deconstruct or, or bury uh, is something that, you know, certainly resonates with me. I, I am... Uh, more than anything on this self-discovery mission, trying to get to the bottom of why I think the way I do, why I react the way I do, why I attach in rate relationship the way I do, why I do any of the things that I do. And so much of the work comes back to the stories that I believe or the things that I tell myself or the way that someone told me how to be and how anytime I divert from it, um, I start to feel things about what it says about me or who I am, even if it's completely, that program is completely outdated and completely irrelevant to my life, or even if it's misaligned at times with the values that I hold in my life for my family, um, sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes those thoughts are still there, and until you really get in there with a jackhammer and deconstruct where they come from, why did they exist, the author of these stories themselves do their very best, but is there a chance that maybe some of what they were expressing was also a reflection of some trauma in their own story? There is something, I think, beautiful and, and hard in confronting some of, some of those things. I was, I was in, a, in a conversation with a friend who had a, a really, really tough upbringing, really tough. And we were doing some work together in trying to unpack, like, well, what are the stories that you, you know, had growing up? Or what was the message that came out of the dysfunction? Or, you know, was there something that you're still carrying in trauma? And when we did the work, he went, walk back, walk back, walk back. And what he finally was able to see was the way that his dad's dad created something in dysfunction in his childhood that made him who he was, like he couldn't get out of his own way because of it, but because he was able for the first time ever to see that that dad that he knew was a product of a granddad that he didn't, gave him this chance for the first time in his entire life to have compassion for his dad, even though his dad created a lot of trauma. And Sometimes, at least for me in this journey, like finding a road to compassion for some of the things that I am still living with generational curse wise. I mean, like I have it so freaking good. So it's such a like I want to be so careful as to paint with too broad a brush. There's no curse here for me. I'm just trying to work through why I do some of what I do. But if you in any way find yourself with man, I'm still stuck on that story. Um, if there's a way at all for you to find a road to compassion for the author, uh, it may also give you some permission to free yourself from some of that curse. It's been super, super healing in my work. The idea that we make mistakes and we get stuck on those mistakes was the next thing that I uh, was, was on. The line came up, um, God's going to turn the mistake into a miracle. God is going to turn the mistake into a miracle. It's weird. I was on the phone with a buddy yesterday. Uh, I found myself reminiscing about uh, old Disney days in the midst of all of this thinking and uh, have reached out to and connected to some of my, my old crew, my old team, just to see how things are. I, um, I was having this conversation and was thinking uh, 
in some ways about how the heck did we end up here after he said, I'm so sorry that uh, things have been so crazy in the last few years. I'm so sorry that things have been so crazy. And, uh, and I started down that path of like, oh, I know, haven't they been crazy? And yeah, how the heck did we end up here? And I course corrected almost immediately because I wish, you know, in some ways, that same idealized version of, you know, uh, wishing I could live life as I wanted it or as I'd hoped it would turn out. Yeah, of course, I wish that I don't ever have to experience pain in my life. I wish that I, you know, lived in a choose your own adventure book, but I already know which, when, which one to choose to get the best outcome, of course. But I know that I am right where I'm supposed to be, that the like way that I am working through all of these things, even as I don't have answers to questions, all of the opportunity to re-pour a foundation that I am next going to build my life on, the learning that's coming or the growth that's coming or the insight, even in something as small as stepping away from social media that avails itself because of what ends up being something that had to get burned down a bit, I wouldn't change any of it to be here with the opportunity that sits in front of me. I wouldn't change what I had to go through to have the kind of growth or the kind of learning, even if it came at my at the expense of my comfort, even if it came sometimes at the expense of being embarrassed, or um, certainly even though it came sometimes with me having myself been someone who made mistakes. And um, you know, like I, I, if there was a if there's a thing you know that was I think especially hard just before I stepped away from social media, like I was I was in a season of struggling. I was really um, I was struggling, and. I had a hard time. I had a hard time struggling and um, being motivational and inspirational and happy online because it felt like the thing that the audience was interested in me being because it was disconnected from the truth of my experience. There was dissonance between uh, a smiley, happy, joking, uh, let's go version of me and the way that I was feeling in the dark place that I found myself sitting in. And when you have that kind of dissonance, it is a guarantee that you're about to step into something that you will look back on as a mistake, right? Like any, any mistakes that I have made over time usually were happening when I was representing that things were great when they weren't, or I was showing up as a version of who I thought they, the collective they wanted me to be, even though it wasn't necessarily connected to my actual experience. And once you make those mistakes, gosh, it's so easy to let your critic take over. It's so easy to let the critics convince you, right? Your, your press, the good press and bad press, right? Um, you start believing that bad press when you make mistakes. I'll tell you, all of us, of course, make mistakes, but um, you get an echo chamber that's uh, regurgitating, reverberating. Uh, anything that you have done in mistake, man, you will just, you will live in it. You'll ruminate over it. So the question is, is there the possibility that the mistake was exactly what was necessary to have the breakthrough? Is there a possibility that um, there's going to be something good that ends up coming, not in spite of it, because of the mistake? And the answer is, of course there is. Of course there is. I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a guarantee that there is. And I know for myself, I am like living it in real time that having to walk through some darker stuff and having to confront a bunch of emotions, having to inconvenience people in my life to completely pull away so I can really dive in and figure out me. In so many ways, it came because of a string of mistakes that turn out to be for me that are like in retrospect, something that I look back with a lot of gratitude for. And um, this question of, can God turn the mistake into a miracle? Like, in some ways, I'm hoping that my next right action of integrity in building what's next for my life is the miracle. But also, you know, I hope that there, because of some of the work that's necessary to come out and rebound from and build back up after mistakes, I hope that there's something that ends up affording me even additional light that I can shine to someone in my life 
um, who, of course, when they make a mistake, are going to feel the same things I have and uh, encourage them that, man, there's good that'll come from this as well. There was this uh, story that he told that I, you know, it's stuck with me. It's such a good story about uh, a mom deep in prayer, begging that her son might be healed, asking if there was any way to heal her son. She was a fervent prayer. She was on her knees all the time, had a great relationship with God, had a single desire on earth, please cure my son. And one day her son asks, is there any possibility? Is there any possibility that I have this on purpose? Is there any chance that I have this on purpose for a purpose? And he, in saying that, is now changing the story and is using the pain that comes in this, his plight, and is using that pain to create. He started writing songs. And of course, you know, he ends up being Stevie Wonder. He was born without this ability to see. He leverages this thing that his mom perceives to be a problem as a purpose and immediately turns that purpose into purpose, writing some of the greatest songs in the history of time, right? Like I know I was made this way, this way. I was made this way on purpose and there is, there is intention and goodness in the creation that is me, that before I make anything, before I do anything, um, that there is purpose that will come from me having been made this way on purpose. And so irrespective of whatever you find yourself confronting or walking through, the way that you may have seen something having happened as a thing that you're having to deal with or that you don't deserve or that whatever it might end up being, when you're, when you're living life in or you're working through this idea of like, hey, you get to live your life how it is, not how you wish it were, um, how it is was on purpose. I'm here in this way, very intentionally, on purpose, for purpose. And even in the midst of having more questions than I might have answers, I can stay every single day connected to faith in this being exactly the journey that I'm meant to be on to discover all of what I'm meant to and who I am so that I can show up even better for who I'm meant to be. Um, and it doesn't mean I don't have the hard days. I mean, I get emotion, emotional telling you that I'm made this way on purpose because in some ways it forces me to push back against some of the voices inside that question the good in some of the parts that I don't yet love about myself. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a work in progress on that for some time but I still, I do know the truth. I just have to come back to and remind myself of that truth over and over and over again. The last thing that he said, um, the last idea that he threw out was the idea of making peace with missing pieces. Making peace with missing pieces, which is crazy because um, I, I had written a header for my run, before I started the run, before I had the no music version for the first hour and the sermon version for the second hour of the run, I wrote as the header, thoughts when you have more questions than answers, right? And so I currently in my life am on a journey to try and create certainty or at least some additional knowing around stuff that feels like it is currently missing so that I can create peace. And what was interesting is that, of course, this is the thing I needed to hear on the day I needed to hear it. Um, the, the goal isn't to create clarity with every single piece because it's an impossibility. The goal is to create peace in their being missing pieces. I mean, the question that was asked, right, was, is there the possibility that the missing piece is space for God to fill? Is it the possibility, like, you know, I'll take it even a step further as I'm, you know, thinking about, all right, great, let's let God fill that space. What does God now have as purpose for me, for me to reach into and do next, right? How do you potentially fill some of those missing pieces 
with you and not how you think you should be or who you need to be or what you have historically done in anything related to codependency to become something for others? What if you just were to fill those missing pieces with you and see what happens when you just show up as yourself in something that you don't yet have perfect answers for to see if being in that space and having allowed it to exist is how those answers were meant to arrive. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. So that was my run. Uh, I didn't run at a fast pace. Uh, the point isn't <laughs> pace necessarily. Uh, I did, a, I did uh, uh, like I said, just a little more than 10 miles in uh, what was 11 minute, 39 second mile paces, but it was the perfect pace for thought. It was a good pace uh, for processing. And then, like I said, I got back here and I put each of uh, those little thought starters uh, as bullets. And then I sat for what ended up being a little more than an hour's worth of time and just started jotting notes on the few of them that I thought some additional things about. And what will I do with these notes? Maybe nothing. Um, but I know for me, part of my journey of trying to find more answers in a world where less exists um, is allowing my thoughts to pop up and then play something of an investigative reporter trying to get in some ways to the bottom of what the heck they mean, what I'm supposed to learn from them, all that kind of stuff. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, I hope that uh, if you find yourself without uh, a ton of answers in real time, that you, uh, not for one second, question the fact that you are good, worthy, and loved exactly as you are, no question having self uh, and all, uh, and that uh, you're normal. I mean, well, at, at a minimum, you're just like me. I guess that maybe makes you not normal because I'm not sure that I'm normal, but you're certainly not alone. <laughs> you're certainly not alone. All right, uh, I hope you had uh, a good time listening if you made it this far. We'll uh, probably be back with an interview next week. Uh, and between now and that episode, I hope you're having a fantastic day. We'll see you next time on Rise Together. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. 